Killing a pronghorn antelope is the goal for many first-time western hunters. With an abundance of the animal on western public lands, there's a lot of hunting opportunity. I'm here to tell you, you'll quickly be humbled by these magnificent but elusive creatures. Antelope are very wary and can provide even the most experienced hunter with a formidable challenge, especially when bow hunting. But that's what draws many hunters to the western plains in search of this mighty speed goat. My guest today, Jace Bozerman, gives his best tips, tactics, and information for hunting the Prince of the Plains. We go in-depth about the methods used for hunting antelope, how to scout for success, hunting on a budget, and his best advice for first-time antelope hunters. Welcome to Activate the Hunt, helping you master the skill of hunting. If you're a new hunter who's just getting started, or you've been hunting for a while, but want to learn new tips, tactics, and information to help you become a better hunter, this podcast is for you. Get ready to activate the hunt. Welcome to episode six of Activate the Hunt podcast. My name is Colin Cottrell, and I'm your host. Whether you're new to the show or you've been a listener from the start, I want to welcome you. I interview some of the top hunters and hunting ambassadors there is and ask them the questions that will help us all learn hunting tips, tactics, and information, and essentially move the needle forward as we strive to become better hunters and hunting advocates. I want to mention a few things before we get into our interview this week with Jace Bozerman. First, I am blown away by all the feedback and messages I've received on social media and email. With each episode of the podcast, Activate the Hunt is growing and most importantly, helping hunters all over the country. This means a lot to me, and I want to say a sincere thank you to all of you who share the podcast with your friends and share our posts on social media. I also want to highlight a review left on iTunes last week. Katie left five stars and wrote, As someone brand new to the world of hunting, I really appreciate what Colin is doing with this podcast. It is so encouraging and helps me believe that I can begin hunting even at an older age. Thank you, Katie. Like I've said over and over, I appreciate this feedback and I'm honored to do what I can to help new hunters on their journey. Value-driven information is the goal of this podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, please go to iTunes and leave your own rating and review. This helps others that are interested in hunting, especially new hunters, find the show. And don't forget to join our closed Facebook group. It's called Activate the Hunt Digital Campfire. This is a free online community where you can talk with other hunters, ask hunting-related questions, Share your own hunting tips and stories, and so much more. This community will provide great value to all of you, no matter if you're a beginning hunter or you've been hunting for years. You don't want to miss out on the conversations we're having in this group. Make sure you join right away at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash activate the hunt. All right, I'm excited to introduce our guest this week, Jace Bowserman. Jace is the editor-in-chief of Bowhunting World Magazine and the author of the book Bowhunting the Prince of Plains. He's also an accomplished bow hunter who has taken over 100 animals with archery equipment across North America and Canada, and he's an extreme endurance athlete competing in multiple ultra marathons each year. Jace is someone that I've looked up to for many years now. I've always appreciated his honest advice and insight. You will definitely enjoy this interview. All right, we got Jace Bozerman on the line, ready to talk about antelope hunting. How's it going, Jace? Good, buddy. Thanks so much for having me going going good yeah man as we were just talking about before we got the show started here you uh, just got back from a hundred mile mountain race tell me a little bit about that i've been i've been dying to hear about that actually <laughs> well i'm 
I'm sitting here right now with uh with ice around my ankles and my feet up and it was uh it was it was definitely the most uh grueling thing I've ever done, um, both mentally and physically. Pro- probably more mentally than anything. How long did you have to prepare for something like that? I've been preparing for that for uh over over a year, specifically training for that that race in particular for over a year. Wow. And uh yeah, it was uh <laughs> it was a relief. It's actually just, it's such a relief to get it over with and, uh, and to have finished, you know, um, that was, that was the goal was just to go out and, and finish, um, is close to 14,000 feet of, of vertical gain and, and the same loss. And so, yeah, you know, running through the night with a headlamp and, and just being out there by yourself. And <laughs> what did you learn about yourself from that experience? Wow. <laughs> I, I learned that I'm, 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 I learned that I'm, I'm dumber than I thought. And, uh, I think the second thing I learned is that, uh, I had, I had a lot more, I had a lot, a lot more mental toughness than, than, than I, than I thought I had. I, I, I like to think of myself as a mentally tough person, but that, that one will doing something like that. will test that to, you know, to, to the hilt. Oh, so totally. that's, that was that was a that was a, a really a really cool thing and then just having having my wife and my kids and my mom and dad and my wife's mom and dad and whole family there at all the different aid stations and checkpoints that was just a blessing to have them there and know that you know you have that have that good support support team for something like that it's uh it's pretty essential well i enjoyed following you through social media man big congratulations to you i'm really proud of you myself so i just wanted to tell you that Oh, thanks, buddy. That means a lot to me. And that's, that was, that was the main reason I wanted to do it is just, you know, if, if somebody will, you know, decide, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to go for a run today, or I'm going to start working out, or I'm going to start doing, doing this or that. I mean, that's, that's kind of the whole idea. You you can do it. Anybody uh, can do it, you know? Oh man. Yeah. You can, you can definitely do it. And you can always, you can always improve on yourself and, and just, just find new, new, new limits and new barriers that you, that you realize, man, I, I can do that. Like you said, and, and I can accomplish that and I can push through that. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's awesome. Yeah, man. Well now, now you got to heal up cause, uh, antelope hunting season's coming pretty quick, right? Yes. In, uh, uh, on August uh, 15th starts here. And so I got two weeks and, and you're in Colorado, correct? Yep, Southeast Colorado. So I got two weeks till the opener, and uh, I'll be plenty healed up by then. So, how many hunts do you have planned out for uh, specifically antelope hunts this fall? This uh, you know coming August, September. Two this this year. Um, do um, Colorado, and then uh, I'm going to head over to South Dakota, and and hunt a public land spot out there that I've hunted and had good success at in years past. And it's one of those spots that I haven't got back to in four or five years. Um, and just been just been dying to get back there. So um gonna be heading out there um towards the towards the end of middle to the end of part of August. Right on. Well let let's talk a little bit about, you know, why you started antelope hunting. Uh, you know, what what was the reason behind it? I mean, one day you're just like, I wanna go antelope hunting or how did that come about? <laughs> yeah, I mean kind of that was is it I I've been you know, no one no one in my family, uh something not everybody knows, but no one in my family hunts. Um, my dad didn't hunt. Um, you know, it just, it just, it just something that, um, that I discovered and, and just kind of took, took hold of me in, in a real positive way. And so 
I, uh, I shotgun hunted and rifle hunted. And then when I, when I fell in love and started bow hunting, um, in Colorado, you know, I just, I didn't have, I didn't have outstanding access to, to, or I shouldn't say access, but I didn't have the fun funding at that time in my life to, to load up and, and, and go elk hunting and deer hunting was at that time had just went to a draw only basis in Colorado. And so I was just like, I got to get out and hunt something. And antelope was over the counter and I knew there was a lot of them, um, from my time running around out there on the ferry. And I thought, you know, maybe, maybe I can, maybe I can go get one of those. And, uh, <laughs> my first year out, I mean, I was super, super blessed and super fortunate to kill the world's smallest antelope buck that, uh, was just above his ears. And that was it, man. I was, I was hooked on him after that. And I've been, been chasing him for gosh, however long that's been, uh, since in a number of States and as often as I can. So was your first real big game hunt, was it an antelope then, or did you hunt elk? And Yeah, I'd hunted elk and I'd hunt, I'd hunted elk with a rifle before. Um, but, uh, antelope was my first big game, um, with, with a bow. Yeah. That, and actually I, I share a common, a common story with you there as well as my first, uh, real Western hunt, uh, was actually for bear, but my first, uh, you know, kill, I guess out West was an antelope on a bow hunt. And he was, he was just a little guy, the same type of thing. But, uh, after reading your book, you know, uh, over the last few days as well is, you know, one of the things that we're going to talk about in this podcast is, you know, a lot of information and tips from your book, which was an excellent book, by the way. Nice work on that. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. A lot of information packed into a, into, you know, a short, series of uh you know journal entries and and pages so i I really like that it was it was awesome it was a quick read but i learned a ton and after reading it i found out that i actually did quite a bit right (laughs) when i was on my first antelope hunt myself so that must have been why i had you know got the opportunity for a kill which i I know we'll get into that more here but uh you know tell me tell me a little bit about your first antelope hunt kind of go into specifics about it you know just tell me about that experience and what you remember yeah, I mean, I, I honestly didn't know. I didn't know much. I didn't know much about the animal. I didn't know much other than I had a lot of people telling me, you know, and that's just impossible with the bow. There's nothing out there. It's so flat. And everybody kept realizing, do you know how fast they are? And do you know how well they can see? And, and, and just, just, just things along that, that, those lines. And so, you know, I didn't have a ground blind. I didn't have a decoy. Um, at that time, I, di- I didn't know anything. And so I just knew that I had my legs and I had my bow and I, I, I had lots of antelope and I could go stalk them and I could try. And I don't know how many, I mean, the, the, the number of white butts bounding away from me at warp speed was, is <laughs> so many, man. I can't even, I can't even begin to, de- to, to, to think or describe how many times, how many stalks I blew um, socks that I shouldn't, shouldn't have blown socks. I probably wouldn't blow today. Um, and, and, but for that first hunt, I was, or, or for that first season of hunting antelope, I was so thankful, especially from a spot and stock sense, because I learned so much about it. Um, and it was really the school of hard knocks because I didn't have anybody out there saying, Hey man, don't do this, but do this, do this, but don't do this. And you know, that, that, uh, that first, the first buck, um, that I, that I ended up killing, um, one of the things I realized really quickly about antelope is how, is how curious they are. They, they are super, super curious and they rely so much on their eyesight, of course, but their speed. 
Um, I firmly believe that in their mind, they, they know that their speed can eclipse pretty much anything. And when I need to get away, I can. And, um, this was a younger buck. So he was really inquisitive. And, uh, I was, I was just making a stock on him out through the, out through the sagebrush. Um, and he had no idea I was there. Um, and once I got, once I got close enough to him, um, he, like they do so many times, he, he did pick off some movement, but I was low enough in the grass. I was low enough in the sage that he, he started, <laughs> he started coming towards me, actually just, just walking towards me and lifting his head and walking towards me and lifting his head. And, and we just kind of played this game of cat and mouse where he wasn't sure what I was. Cause I was low enough in the grass. And, and finally he got distracted enough by something else. And, and I was able to, to raise up and range him and, 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 and made a good shot on him. Man, that's awesome. It was, it was, it was so good. How, how far was he? Cause I know it can, you know, those animals can be out there quite a ways. Yes. He was 50, he was 53 yards. Um, exactly. I mean, I remember, I remember everything about it. I remember that he was, remember that he was slightly quartering away cause something had got his attention and he, he just kind of turned and looked in the opposite direction. And that's when I got up, came to my knees, I'd already got the range, um, and, and just hammered him good. He, he didn't, he didn't take it very far. Um, and like I said, he was just a, he was such a small buck and the pictures I have of him are, are terrible. Um, with an old, uh, Kodak film camera, but, uh, <laughs> I had a buddy that was, that was close by and, and, um, and, uh, I got, got in touch with him and, and we were able to go out and take some photos of him and stuff like that. So that was, that was, that one will be, you know, they're all special, but that one, that one's super special. Cause I don't know if, if, you know, when you, when you hunt or anything, there's anything quite like your first of anything. Yeah. Yeah, you know? totally. I agree. You always remember it. You remember every little detail about it, it seems like, too. Oh, man, you do. So let's go into kind of some methods here. You, you talked a lot about spotting and stalking on that first hunt just because you didn't have, you know, uh, the equipment necessary for the other method, which is sitting on a water hole. And, and I believe those are the two main methods that people use. You know, talk a little bit about spotting and stalking first and then kind of go into talking about, you know, sitting on a water hole and how, you know, how they're a little bit different or how they contrast. Yeah, well, spotting and stalking is great because you can do it at any time throughout the season, and the weather the weather conditions don't really play as much of an effect as they do when you're water hole hunting, which which we'll talk about. But you know, the 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 main the main key to to spot and stalk to spot and stalk hunting antelope is is patience. Um, they're not hard to find. You know, antelope aren't really hard to find. So what I like to do is I like to get myself in an area where I know there's a lot of antelope. And just like hunting deer or elk or anything that you want to, you want to, want to watch, I like to gain a, a vantage point, which out here on the plains can be something as small as a five foot rise, you know, um, just, just getting somewhere where I'm not silhouetted, where something's at my back and I can set up uh, my good glass. You know, that's so important is to have really good glass and a good spotting scope, um, and, and, and on a tripod and, and a good, good, good pair of binos. And, and I like to set up and, and and glass. And typically what I'm looking for is, um, is a lone, is a, is a, is a lone animal, obviously less eyes, especially with animal, a buck with a ton of does is just, he, unless he's in the perfect spot, he's so hard to stalk. So looking for that, looking for that one lone buck. And what I like to do is I like to stay, find that buck and, and, and stay on him until he beds down. And, and typically, you know, there's no secret to that. We all like to stalk bedded animals, 
but antelope are so different in how they how they bed as opposed to like if you've hunted high country mule deer or things like that. A high country mule deer, once he beds, he might stay in that bed for seven hours. He might stand up and stretch a few times, shake the bugs off, nibble on some oak brush. You know, an antelope might bed for 10 minutes or he might bed for four hours. I, I, there's no rhyme to reason for why. So the key is, is once that buck beds, if he's in a really good spot at that point, it's time to, it's time to act pretty quickly and, 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 and move and move into action and, and actually start, start making your, start making your, your approach. And, uh, one of the things that's really hard about stalking antelope is they see so well and you've got to stay, you've got to stay so low to the ground. And, and when I say low, I've taken guys out and and I'm not talking about, you know, crawling on your hands and knees. I'm talking about slithering along like a worm, like an army crawl, basically. Yeah. Pulling yourself along and, 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 and doing, doing it that way. Cause anything less than that, unless you just have exceptional cover, um, you've got to do that. Um, and then just paying attention to the little things. Like I've noticed that low light definitely, if they don't see as well in low light. So it's the simple thing of waiting for some clouds to come by, you know, that's a huge tip that I would give anyone is, you know, if you've got to make a somewhat risky move in your stock and you've got some approaching clouds and, and, and that buck is staying put and you're, you're feeling pretty good about the situation, stay, stay there, you know, wait for those clouds to come by. Um, and the other thing with, with it is like on any stock, you know, don't get that bobbing head syndrome of, gosh, I hope he's still there. I hope he's still there looking a million times because he's going to get you. I mean, he's for sure going to get you. You have to, once you commit to it, unless you're in a spot where you know he won't see you, you've got to just trust in your mind that this is where I'm headed to. This is, this is where I got to get to and get to that point and then start preparing yourself mentally for, for, for the shot opportunity that might take place. And if he's gone, he's gone. You know, but you're you're not going to change that either way. If he's going to get up and move on you, he's going to get up and move on you, regardless. So you have to treat each stock as if he's going to be there. It sounds like patience is a big factor as well. You know, when you're doing the spotting and stalking, you know, obviously sitting on water all right. day, you have to have some patience there. But you really, I th- I think that something that people might not really realize is you have to really be patient when you're spotting and stalking these animals because it's going to take some time for you to get in the right position to you know obviously for bow hunting to get in the shot opportunity it is and and you've got to go into it knowing that failure is a part of the game i mean if you go out and you stalk your first antelope and you kill him on your first stalk wow (laughs) way to go i'm not saying it's not saying it's impossible but i'm saying that it's 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 so tough man um you know usually i typically average you know, I was looking the other day, I think, I think I typically average somewhere between 14 and 17 stocks before I, before I even get a chance to, 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 to shoot an arrow, you know, and, and a good arrow, one that I feel good about. And, and, um, so it's just, it's just the name of the game is persistence. You know, mentally it's a little bit draining. It is. And some of the things you can do, you know, to help with that mentally draining, you know, after you've seen that 10th butt just bound away from you and you've been so close and you thought this was it is, you know, things start to wear on you mentally. The heat starts to wear on you mentally. So you got to stay hydrated. Um, you know, uh, a, a nice cooling towel when you get back to your truck is, is nice, you know, dipped in a, dipped in some ice cold water and just laid around the neck. The other thing that's going to really help keep your spirits up is a pair of good knee pads, um, and, and quality knee pads. Not, uh, I don't like the real plastic loud plastic ones cause they're super crunchy. The, the ground out there is really arid. Um, I like to offer a more gel covered one. Those and then, uh, um, 
with a more plastic behind the gel, it seems to, uh, it's quieter and it still resists, you know, even those, the worst thorns, good pair of, uh, rubber gloves, um, as well. And then make sure that you have means uh, or a way of removing, removing spines from you. Cause you're going to get cactus spines, whether they be in your forearm or one slides in under your shoe, you want to be able to stay out there and, and get those tweezers in and get those, get those spines out. Um, and they don't feel good. That's for sure. Oh, they don't feel good. They do not feel good. That's one method of hunting antelope. Now sitting on a water hole, talk about your game plan, sitting on a water hole and, and what to look for when you're scouting for, you know, that kind of situation. So here's the thing with water is water is by far weather depending. And this is the thing that television doesn't show us. This is the thing that a lot of weather depending a water hole is the best way to kill an antelope. Um, I kind of compare it to, to baiting bears in a way, you know, they talk about baiting bears being such a high success rate hunt. If you have the right weather and the right water source, you're in the chips, you're, you're going to, you're going to get an antelope. Um, the key to it is finding that right water source. You know, if you're going to an area, you know, just throwing a dot on a map and saying, Hey, this stock tank or this particular pond looks great and going and sitting there, you're going to really have to luck out. You've got to put some time into finding where those goats want to water because goats antelope water at a specific place for, for whatever rhyme or reason. But once they find a water source, they're very particular about that water source and they'll want to return to it time and time again. I've got countless hours of video footage, countless trail camera photos of bucks that just come to that continually and continually and continually. So it's finding that water source. I've got to mention quick, Jace, is I've, in my experience, I, you know, most of my hunting, I've done a little bit of spot and stock, but most of my hunting, actually the second buck I killed here in Texas with a rifle was spot and stock. And it's a little bit easier than obviously hunting with a, um, with a bow. But my first hunting experience was with a bow and it was sitting on water and it was kind of crazy. So after reading your book, I, you know, and hearing some of the tips that you gave, you know, wasn't, you know, scouting for that spot or scouting for that water hole was really a a big deal. And I didn't realize like that I had done a good job of that. You know, we were on this big open prairie in, Mon in Eastern Montana and there was five or six of us. It was a writer's hunt and there was five or six of us. And I was kind of the young guy. So I was like, all right, you guys go ahead and pick your spots first. You know, and I kind of just sat back and, you know, paid attention to what they were, where they were picking their spots, where they wanted to put their blinds up and stuff like that. And, you know, I was kind of thinking to myself, I was thinking, well, all these spots, you know, are not that far away. They're pretty close together. There's quite a bit of water out here actually it had been dry so you know it was good weather it hadn't been rainy or anything like that it was good weather but there was a lot of water holes close by and i noticed they were all like tanks or they were big you know they had a big overhang where those animals would have to walk up and then down and then in to get into the water mm -hmm. you know what i mean i was kind of thinking well yep I don't know a lot about antelope, but I know that they like to see things and they like to see for long distances. So once they were all done, I was like, I found this little slough, this random little water slough where I, I saw some grass sticking up and I was like, man, that grass is really green. Everything else is brown. There's a little slough in the, in the, um, in the land here, a little breakup in the land. And I went over there and there was, there was kind of a fence area to the left. And then these antelope could come down off this mountain and they could see where this little slough, water slough was. And I was like, you know what? This might be the most random place to put a ground blind, but I'm just going to put my ground blind right here by this little water slough, this small little water slough, and I'm just going to give it heck and, and give it a chance. And 
I'm, I ended right. up being the only person who killed an antelope in, in that five-day hunt. It was crazy, and they didn't see anything. And it's because of where yeah, you were. Yeah, it was just the most random yeah. thing. But what I learned from your book is those antelope really like to see open distances. They don't want to go down into, you know, like a water tank and have to get down below that, you know, into that water and then not be able to see what's around them. And that's, that's just it, man. I mean, you know, picking the right tank in an in open area where their their eyes can – their eyes can constantly scan. They don't like to walk in an area, a tank inside of like a set of corrals or, or a lot of the fenced in areas you'll see out West. Um, you know, they, they don't like it in a, in a, in places where, where it's real confined. They want to be able to see so that they can escape because they know that coyotes and other predators use those water sources as well. And they also, you know, stock tanks are great. I've killed tons of antelope over stock tanks, but one bad thing about stock tanks is they're rarely full to the brim and for them to drink, they've got to lower their eyes below, below that cement or metal or whatever that stock tank is made out of. And that lowers that, that, that reduces their vision for, for however many seconds. And, and a lot of people, you know, if you've ever seen an antelope drink, a lot of times they will really drink. You can watch the muscles and they'll slurp and they'll slurp. Um, and that's where they know. I mean, that's where they can get ambushed when they're watering, like you said, out of a, out of a natural, out of a pond or something like that, or a little slough or spring bubbling up out of the ground, they can sip water and still have, you know, that 300 degree field of, of view. They can still see their surroundings while they're watering. And that makes them a lot more confident in that water source. So if you find something like that, you know, and it's got tracks around it and it's, you know, that's, that's just a, that's a no brainer, especially when it's going to be hot. I mean, when those temperatures get up to 95 plus, um, the hotter, the better it's miserable for us, but the hotter, the better you, you've got, you've got, and you've got something like that. You've got a real, a real chance. And the other thing to really look forward to, and these are so common. Um, I've got one out here right now that I'm running a camera on is these tanks, these tanks break as far as the floats breaking and things like that, or they've got, they, they, they fill up and they spill out onto the ground. And I'm not going to pretend to know the reason why, but antelope will come for miles to water at those things. They love them. A stock tank that's spilling over, and it's just like you said, it's the same thing. It's it's something that they can drink from without having to, you know, dip those eyes below. So those are all those are all things to keep an eye out for when you're when you're looking for places um, where antelope are going to water. Totally. So talk about the hunt now. You, you find the spot where you want to sit. Now, what's the hunt look like? Yep. If I got, if I have time, so like right now in Colorado, it's August 1st season opens, um, season opens August 15th. My blinds are going to go out Saturday. Um, they're going to be, they're going to be put in and they're going to be put in, um, 30 to 35 yards from, from the water source. And that's just a personal choice that I've made. The, 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 the more I crowd a tank, even if I get those blinds up ahead of time, the more I crowd a tank, the more nervous antelope seem around it. I've, 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 I've studied them on, you know, video footage and things like that, watching them with the blind set up. And, you know, that 30 yard mark is just about right. So I set mine at 30 to 35 yards. And if there's anything out there on that, around those tanks, and there often is, man, there'll be an old windmill head laying down an old tractor tire, you know, um, uh, apart from this or apart from that, put your ground blind in that area or drag those, or drag those things over and put them by your ground blind. It just, for some reason, I mean, it just, 
it, it makes all the difference. They they just don't pay it any mind. Yeah, they're they're used to seeing that that whatever that is, like you know, like a farmer out on his tractor. They're used to seeing that farmer drive out on his tractor, so it doesn't bother them as much. Exactly. And if you have to set up, you know, I killed lots of antelope set up the same day, going and putting in a, in a blind. Again, the the two keys in that, in my opinion, are distance from the tank, and if there's any available cover. And when I say cover, I mean you know. Anything that's out there that you can help help distri- you know put put that blind in um, is going to make a huge is going to make a huge difference for you on those on those first or second day setups um, you know where you just have to go in and set up the blind and and get in and hunt um, but really that's 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 really the key to it of course you know being being towards the back of the blinds you know making sure that you're you're blacked out completely face hands you know, those things need to be blacked out, um, blacked out completely. And another thing to do to keep in mind, and and this is something you're always going to set your blind closer to the water hole than you think. Um, so when you go to set your blinds, take your rangefinder. It's the absolute, it's a surefire way to make sure that, Hey, I want to set it 30 yards. I'm set at 30 yards. I've done it so many times where I would swear I would set it at 35 yards and I'm at 22. And it's just those tanks or water sources are often so big the space out there is so open and it's, it's super hard to judge. At least for me, it's super hard to judge distance, especially on something like that. So when I have my range finder, boom, I can set it, um, you know, and then make sure when you set your ground blinds, don't, don't opt for the little tiny stakes that come with them. It's just not going to do. I like to take huge tent stakes. I anchor down every, every side. And then I take a, a, a T post and I drive that T-post into the ground towards the back of the blind, and I use that as if all else fails, hopefully that blind will, will hold on to that T-post in, in, in the event of a huge, in the event of a huge uh, a wind or something mm, like that. Especially on the open plains. <laughs> that happens. Oh, man, and you're going to have it. Oh, gosh, yes. I've lost a many of a ground blind to, to, to wind. And they're not fun to try to chase down either. <laughs> No, no, and when you find them and the rods are through the through through the fabric and everything else has gone uh, wrong, it's uh, it's 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 not I, a I've been there. A lot of turkey fun. hunting, I've um, been in the same same spot before. Man. Oh gosh! Another really important thing is with waterhole hunting is you don't want to force it. Um, if you get you know if you get three inches of rain or or two inches of rain or an inch of rain and it's just you're 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 going to be better off most of the time to go ahead and, and, and opt to wait until things dry out if you can, and then get back in there on a real hot, dry day and, and spend your time, especially if you're limited on a hunt, um, spend your time spotting and stalking or, or if, if, if the, it's that right time of the year running a decoy or, or, or something like that. Now, sitting in a blind all day, th- that wears down on you quite a bit as well. That's where that patience, patience <laughs> deal comes in. You know, is, oh, man. do you have any tricks or, or tips for, for sitting in a ground, ground blind all day? Absolutely. Um, one thing that's really nice is if you have, if you have the right tank, um, and, and I'd love to hear what, if, 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 if other people's thoughts on this, I mean, cause this is something I put trail cameras to and, and just tons of time. If you have the right tank pond, what, whatever water source, and you have the right weather conditions, 95 degrees plus, I have, I have killed most of my antelope in those conditions before noon, before the noon hour. Um, so that I, 
fully believe it's a total myth that, you know, they're going to water at the hottest part of the day. They're going to water at two and three. And that's where I've had the least activity. Um, they're bedded down. You know, they're laying down. They're trying to trying stay to cool. See, yeah, exactly. um, oh, yeah. And a lot of times on those days, I've had, I've had bucks come and drink at 630 in the morning, you know, and just drink and drink and drink to where they want to, you know. So the antelope I killed was was in the morning as well. So I I can totally understand that. And I I didn't have a lot of action in the afternoons. I remember that. I sat for 5 days straight and on that 5th day, I remember it was like 10 o'clock in the morning and they came in to get a nice drink and and yep. I killed one. So kind of a magic hour, 10 10 to 12 is kind of something to keep in mind for for waterhole hunters. Um but you know, sitting sitting in a ground blind, yeah. Um you know, the the great thing is, you know, you shouldn't get snuck up on because you should be in an area where you can really see um, and and things like that. So, you know, I constantly am, 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 am cracking windows and peeking out the back and things like that. But, you know, um, one of the things that you that I take with me is I take my spotting scope with me um, into the ground blind because it's a lot of fun to sit there and pass time checking the prairie and looking at animals that are way out there. You know, finding a buck that's way in the distance and and several times it's happened and thinking, man, that might be the one that comes. And then he does. And then you're watching him the whole way in. So take, take a spotting scope out there. Another thing to take, you know, is a good, is, is a good book. Um, you know, take a good book, take, take your, I'm a writer and I like to keep everything. So I take my journal. That's a great time to sit down and write and, and crank some things out. That was one of the coolest parts about your book, by the way, was just all the journal entries that you included in your book. You know, I, I really loved reading those and all the different experiences that you had there. And I think that's, that's something that I just want to mention. My podcast is geared towards, you know, uh, newer generation hunters. And, you know, if there's some, if there's one tip I can give you, and I need to start doing this more, I used to do it quite a bit, but I need to start keeping a journal. And, and I, I encourage all hunters Get a journal, keep it, and follow all those hunts. I know, I know one guy who I've done some filming for and, and some hunting with in the past, and he has a hunting journal, or he's got several hunting journals all the way, you know, to his first hunts, and he's been hunting for I think over forty five years. So, is <laughs> is pretty wow. cool to see yeah. that. And it, and it really is, and not only is it educational for you, but I mean, it's something the memories and things like that to look back on. You know, it's great. And it's so many times, I mean, I don't know about you, but I, uh, how many times have you thought, gosh, I just remembered what day that mm-hmm. was on and what the condition, you know, I mean, if you keep that journal, you have it. You can go back and learn a lot about your past experiences too. And you can, you know, maybe in five oh. years, you want to go back and try that hunt again or in 10 years, you know, and then you, you can go back and, Hey, I remember, uh, you know, when I did that hunt before and this is what happened and this is where I went and a bunch of different information about it, you know? Definitely. Definitely. Uh, another thing you're going to want to take is you will, you will be on your phone. <laughs> um, if you, if you have service, you'll be texting everybody that you, everybody that will respond. You will, you will want to send a text to and, and create a conversation because checking that phone is it's, it's a relief type of thing out there. Um, it gives you something to do. And if you don't have service, you're going to be playing a lot of solitaire and a lot of other, other type things that you can do without, without phone service. So take, take a, take a, take a charger with you, take a portable, charger because i don't know how many times i've sat there and by 11 o'clock my phone's dead Mm -hmm. and it's like oh my gosh you know and it's just it's mentally reassuring it's it's nice to know that oh man i run my phone down i can i can charge it three more times you know um so that's that's something to always have and then you know if you're going to be sitting in that ground blind take take some take some snacks and take some take some water and some drinks and things like that um 
you know, typically if you're going to be sitting a ground blind, you know, if you can have somebody drop you off there, that's great. I, I usually don't. Um, what I found is if I drive into my ground blind in the dark and I mean, dark, dark, no sun cracking on the horizon, I can unload all my gear so I can unload spotting scopes. I can unload coolers. I can unload everything and I can get my blind situated. I can drive out, park my truck where I know it won't be seen, where it's way off. And I can hike back in and get into that ground blind before light and me driving in there and doing that. It, it means nothing. It doesn't bother them in the slightest. Um, you know, like I said, I've done that and had a buck come 15 minutes after it's light. So that's something, you know, not having to worry about just packing all that stuff in and carrying it with you because I've done that before too. And it's, it's, it's an unnecessary chore if you can, if you can help it. Now, one of the major things I wanted to talk about is getting access, you know, uh, you know, there's obviously opportunity for public land, some private land, you know, talk about getting access for, you know, especially for new hunters. That's one of the hardest parts of, you know, finding a place to hunt is, is, is number one on the list. So if you can't find a place to hunt, you can't hunt. That's right. And, and when I started hunting, I mean, that's, I, I was in the same boat. And one of the things that, that there, there is where antelopes live out West, the West is known for, for public access and there's tons of it, tons of BLM access. One of the things I would highly recommend to everybody is of course, a good, a good map of the area that you're going to hunt that shows those things, but also a good program like on your GPS or that you can pull it up on your computer, like Onyx maps. Um, some of these things that actually, that just show every piece of public parcel, you'll be amazed at, at how much public ground there is, um, in those places. So that's one thing I'd recommend. The second thing I'd re- recommend is don't be afraid to ask permission. Even if you're an out of state guy, I've gotten permission in South Dakota and other places by simply going and knocking on a door because most of these ranchers despise antelope. I mean, they just do because they're caught co- their, their competition for, for their cattle. Um, and in places where they're big, there's big herds, um, there, there's, they're really competition and those, I mean, almost every rancher that I've ever asked has told me yes, especially with the bow. They look at you like, man, kind of funny, but uh, yeah, I guess go for it. Good luck, buddy. But um, it's co- it's competition for their it's competition for their cattle, and most all of them have told me, hey, just do me a favor, promise me one thing, you know, shoot more than one, <laughs> which of course we know we can't do. But I mean, that just goes to show you that in most cases they 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 if you, if you can take one and eliminate one. Um, that's, that's, that's a good thing. And the other thing that I found with, with gaining that private land permission is if you do harvest one, don't, don't, don't let that knock on the door be the last time that landowner sees you, you know, um, until you call him again and say in a year and say, Hey, remember me, you know, if you, if you harvest an animal, go, go show him. A lot of people are so like, well, I don't want to show him because then he'll know, nah, go show the guy, be showing, man, look at, look at, this is what this means to me. Thank you so much. I wouldn't have been able to do this without your help, you know? And then, you know, I mean, find out, you know, I mean, gosh, find out what their favorite restaurant is. Find out, send them, send them a gift card in the mail. Those types of things just go a long, long, long way. Build a relationship that will last. I mean, you'll, you'll have plenty of years of hunting after that then. And that's the thing. And you will, you'll, you'll be able to hunt that property. I mean, I've hunted a property out here now that's changed hands three times within the family. And the, the, the person that had, that had control of the hunting before the person that got it, um, has, has, has told them about me. Like, Hey, this, this kid's going to call you. This guy's going to call you. He's, he closes gates. He helps out. He's helped me, you know, uh, a year ago I helped, I took like a whole day out of hunting and, use my four wheeler to help a rancher move his cattle. And 
I mean, those, those things are just, they, they just, they go so far in, in access and things like that. Um, it's, you just can't be afraid to go, to go knock on the door. There's always that intimidation factor. They may yell, they may scream it. I've never had any, anyone scream at me, get off my property, just go nuts. You know, I mean, it just, you know, you got to give people the benefit of the doubt. You just can't be scared to do it. You just got to just go do it. And if you get turned down, Hey, no big deal. Exactly. And, and it's always better the first time, you know, it's so easy to get people's phone number. Now, you know, you can look at on X maps and, and, and some of these systems and say, Oh, this guy owns it. Get his phone number and eh, go, go see him, you know, go, go to the door, you know, shake his hand, be respectful. This way he can see the vehicle you're driving. He can see, you know, he gets a feel for the first impression of what kind of person you are and that you are a respectful and ethical hunter. And it's not some guy over the phone that, Hey, I found your number on Onyx maps. And you sound more like a, like a salesman then, you know, trying to those calls that we all dread getting, you know, but when we show up at their house and I just, I, I found that that's, that's the best way to go. Now, I know you're a big advocate for hunting on a budget. Let's, let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, I man, there's so much information we could talk about. We're not even, even going to touch. Know, We're not even going to touch what I, what I my, thought I we just, might be able to. I just looked at my watch and I'm like, I know oh, it's, it's already been 40 minutes. I can't believe that. It's crazy. But, you know, let's talk about, you know, hunting on a budget. Let's, let's talk a little bit about that and then we'll, and then we'll finish up, but we'll let everybody go ahead and, and pick up your book and, and they can learn a lot more then from that and they can get in contact with you with a ton more tips that you have. And we'll, and we'll get you back on the show later on too. Yeah, man, that'd be, that'd be great. Um, so as far as bow hunting on a budget for antelope, there's there's several keys that you can do, especially if you want to border hop and jump states and things like that. I mean, I was a school teacher, and um, my my the, the my gross salary was like thirty two thousand dollars, which was just crazy to think about at that time. And I still managed to do those things. So one of the things is, you know, stay out of the motels, guys. Stay out of the motels and the hotels. And the biggest thing is that is, you know, you're going to average, you're going to average for a dump $60 a night. You know, if you stay, say you stay three nights, you know, what's that? It's 180 bucks, right? That's just, that's just in, in, in motel fees. And then your gas, because I guarantee you that motel is not typically a 10 minute drive yeah, from <laughs> to your where spot. you're going to be hunting antelope. Yeah. You're going to be making a commute to and from, and if you tent camp, or you park your RV or park your, you know, whatever you have out, out in a place where it's, where it's legal to camp and you can camp in most grasslands and most areas, you can find a place to camp. A lot of times it's free. If not, it's going to be 14 or 15 bucks a night. Um, you know, that's a huge, just, just think about that cost variable right there. The other thing tent camping does is it keeps you out of town. Keeping you out of town means wh- what do you do when you go into town? I'm, I'm going to the convenience store, right? Cause I got to have, something and then i got to go out to eat and since i'm on since i'm out doing this i mean you can justify sitting down and eating a steak dinner pretty quick and so if you're if you're not going into town you're at camp you're eating what you brought which means you you brought food from home that that you've already budgeted in and it's not an it's not an added expense because you're bringing that food anyway because we got to have food that's just what we do so stay stay out of the restaurants Stay out of the hotels. Um, those are those are those are two two huge tips, and it's going to save you on gas as well because you're not commuting from that hotel all the way to where you're going to hunt. You're going to be doing enough running around, uh, enough running around as it is, looking and glassing and doing those different things. So those are those are two two big ways 
to, to keep to keep the cost of the hunt down. Right on. That's great information. What is your best advice for a new antelope hunter? Best tip for a new antelope hunter is go into it prepared with, with an open mind. Go into it not saying, killing this antelope over a water hole. Because it might rain three inches the day before your season, and you've got four days to hunt, and guess what? You're probably not going to kill that buck over water now. Um, don't go into it saying, I'm going to spot and stock or nothing else. If it's a hundred degrees outside and you have a tank that's littered with tracks, get a ground blind, get over the tank and make, and, and kill the, and kill a buck. Um, you know, just, just go into it with an open mind, be willing to, to know that, Hey, I've got several ways I can hunt these, these creatures. I can spot and stock. I can hunt them over water. I can use a decoy during the right time of year. I can sit fence line crossings. There's so many different ways that tactics that you can use to, to kill these antelope. And, and like you said, I mean, my book's got it. I tried to detail pretty much every possible scenario in an easy to read. It wasn't meant to be fluffy. It wasn't meant to be, Oh man, look at the fancy writing. It's just quick, hard hitting. This is what works. And super easy to read. Yeah. I appreciate it. And, and, and just go in and, and, and have an open mind because there's so many ways you can kill these animals and don't pigeonhole yourself and leave a hunt going, man, oh, why didn't, you, why didn't I kill? Well, I set a water hole every day for three days when it was gloomy and it, it rained every night and throughout the day. You know, don't do that. Go, go spot and stock. You know, you got low light conditions. You got quiet ground. You've got all these different things working to your advantage there. Um, the, the antelope are up and moving more because they're cool. You know, go into it with an open mind and be willing to be flexible and adjust your tactics. As we wrap up the show today, Jace, I have an additional question that I like to ask each guest, and that question is, why do you hunt? Oh, man, that's such a, such a great question. I think I have so many answers. But, but uh, first, first and foremost for me, I, I hunt because of what it, what it provides for my family. And, and I mean that in the truest sense of the word. Um, I don't know the last time we've bought beef. In fact, I get offended if my wife buys beef because I tell her I'm Safeway for our family. Um, and, and my family's a hunter. I mean, my wife's not hunting, my kids. I, I, I hunt to be a provider. I think that's the biggest reason I hunt is, is, is to be a provider um, and just to experience God's creation because, man, when you're out there in it, I don't know that there's anything that can compare to the sights, the sounds, the feeling you get that just shoots through your body when you're pulling back your bow on an animal and you know you are milliseconds away from releasing that arrow. And just just those types of things and, and the, the emotional, I'm, I'm rambling now, but the emotional highs and, and lows that come with being a hunter. You know, you can be at the top of Everest or falling off of it on your head. And, and just, just the swings are incredible. So that's, that's, I just, I, I, that's why I hunt. (laughs) I love it. I love it, man. That's an excellent, excellent answer, man. Excellent answer. Where can, where can everybody get in contact with you where can they pick up your book and tell me a little, you know, where they can follow you on social media and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, uh, guys, I, I love answering questions. I, I, I give seminars and, and if you, if you, if you email me, um, and I'll, I'll shoot you, I'll shoot you that when we're done here. Perfect. Um, just, just email me there. Um, drop me a note on Facebook, Colin will, you know, put up, uh, and then at Instagram, I'm just at Bowsy Bowhunts. And, you know, if you want to check out the book, just go to Amazon and type in Jace Bosserman and 
the book, Slow Hunting the Prince of the Plains comes up and, you know, give it a, give it a read. There's an e ebook version and, or you can order a hard copy and, and, uh, you know, let me know what you think. Yeah. I, I got the, I got the ebook version and it was only like two ninety nine. I think it was, it was pretty cheap, man. And it was well worth the read, man. It was awesome. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like two ninety nine. So it's quick and it's easy. It's something you can get through. And, and, and I tried to eliminate a lot of stuff that I know that I, I don't, when I'm reading a, a book, I want, I don't know, something like that. I just, I just want to get to the meat and potatoes really quickly and be able to, you know, and that's kind of the age I feel like we're in. We want that information hard hitting quick and, and, and right now something that's going to benefit me. And I think that if you read the book and you put those things to practice, you're going to find, you're going to find success. Right on, man. Well, thanks. Thanks again for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Good luck this season. All right, buddy. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed the interview this week with Jace. Don't forget to go to Amazon.com and pick up your copy of Bowhunting the Prince of Plains. As you heard from this interview, Jace has a wealth of knowledge when it comes to bowhunting pronghorn antelope. And there's so much more I wish we could have covered. His book will definitely help you. To find all the topics, quotes, and important links we talked about in this episode, or to get in contact with Jace, you can find the show notes at activatethehunt.com forward slash 006. Finally, don't forget to hit subscribe on whatever app you're listening from. And I would also appreciate if you'd leave me a rating review from iTunes. As I mentioned before, this will help others that are looking for hunting information find this podcast. We will be back next week with a new interview. Have a great week, everyone. Thank you for listening to Activate the Hunt podcast. For additional information about this podcast, the show notes, hunting articles, and more, visit www.activatethehunt.com.